Today's scripture comes from Acts 2, verses 37 to 47. When they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he testified and strongly urged them, saying, Be saved from this corrupt generation. So those who accepted his message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 people were added to them. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all, as any had need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Sohi, for reading that. In my excitement to jump right into our receiving of new members, I forgot I did have a few things to mention, uh, some life and community items on page seven. So if you can turn there, one is actually related to what's happening on Sunday the 27th. We're going to begin our confirmation class that's happening right after the service for our kids and young people. If your kids are registered for the class, please make sure, parents, you have a reading assignment. It's this book. We have these books at the welcome table. Please be sure to pick yours up. Um, that's your assignment. Also, you'll see on there, we have our prayer ministry that's kicking off again, a coffee break opportunity to connect for our women, a heart park outreach to be involved in a compassion ministry, and on page eight, You'll see our next newcomer's dinner. If you're new to Trinity, I would love to meet you. Our family would love to have you over to our home for a meal where we talk about the story of our church, where we get to know your stories and answer questions you might have about connecting into the life of our church. So that's March 6th. And the easiest way to sign up for all that stuff is this handy-dandy QR code that says Church Center App. You just... Zoom in on that, and that'll take you to sign up for all that. Okay. Well, we are in a teaching series to begin the year called Liturgy for Life. And what we're doing is taking a look at each part of our Sunday worship service, in other words, our liturgy, and we are asking of each part, why do we do it week after week after week? Why do we need to do that? The goal is that we would have deeper understanding so that we're not just going through the motions each Sunday, but that our hearts would be more open, more receptive to what God wants to do in our lives and how he wants to meet us from the beginning to the end of our worship service. We are also asking about each of these parts, how might they serve as a model or a template for my own Monday through Saturday rhythms and routines 
In other words, our life liturgies. Today, what we're going to do is look at what I think is the most underutilized gift and resource that is available to Christians for our spiritual formation and growth. And if you're here this morning, you are interested in Jesus, you're exploring who Jesus is, this part of our liturgy can tell you so much about what it means to be a Christian. If you're trying to figure that out, this part can tell you so many different facets of what it means to become a Christian. Let me begin with an illustration. Imagine you have a friend, and whenever you meet up with this friend, they're always looking for a, an electrical outlet. And they're always saying, I got to charge my phone. I got to, where's the outlet here? If you're going to coffee, to a restaurant, they're always looking for that. You get in your car, and they're like, can I charge my phone in your car? You say, okay, yeah, yeah, don't think too much of it. But in talking further with them, you learn they don't have a TV. They don't have internet at their house. They tell you that at night they use candles to be able to get around and to find their way around their house. And they say they, they don't use a refrigerator. And eventually, you would probably ask this friend of yours, why are you living like it's the 1800s? Don't you have electricity in your house? And if they said to you, I don't know. I never thought about that. Maybe I do have electricity at my house. I'll look into that. This would be an example of a severely underutilized resource if we didn't even know our home was equipped with electricity. And once your friend found out about it, that would change everything about their entire lives. This is, I'm sharing this because this is a picture, I think, for most Christians. It's a picture of how we treat baptism. When was the last time you thought about your baptism? When was the last time you thought about baptism as a resource for you, for the challenges of your day, as something that you needed, that was available to you in order to grow and to become more like Christ? There's no way in one message to capture all that baptism is and what it means, why it's a part of our liturgy and how it can have a place in our everyday lives. But I think that this passage that we heard read in the book of Acts about the day that the Christian church began, the first day of the church, and the day when baptism was first practiced by the church is probably the best place to go in the Bible to get a broad overview. All the many facets of baptism, we can see them in this one place. So I know the outline is not there in your bulletin, but let me give you the outline. We're going to look at the priority of baptism. We're going to look at the meaning of baptism. And lastly, we'll talk about the liturgy of baptism. So we just read from Acts chapter 2. The book of Acts in the New Testament is the story of the early church. In chapter 1, Jesus, who had been raised from the dead, he ascends into heaven And he told his followers, just wait here. Wait for the Holy Spirit to come upon you. He said the Holy Spirit would come and give them power to be his witnesses. That's chapter 1. In chapter 2, this happens. It's called the day of Pentecost. Chapter 2 is the story of the birth of the church. The Holy Spirit is poured out on the church. And as a result, Peter, one of the disciples, 
He stands up. There's a crowd gathered for a festival in the city of Jerusalem. He stands up and he gives the very first sermon. And he proclaims that Jesus is risen from the dead. He is Lord and Messiah. He tells this to the crowd. And then look at verse 37. They say, what should we do? And he says, repent and be baptized. By using the word priority here in my first point, the priority of baptism, I mean baptism was the first thing the church did as the church. And that's very, very significant. Our whole series has been about what do we do as a church when we gather together? And here we see in response to the message about Jesus, before they got to more teaching, to fellowship, breaking bread, and prayer, we see that happen in verse 42, things that are familiar to us. Baptism was given priority as the first thing. Why is that? Well, remember first, these are all, who's, who's the crowd? Remember, these are all Jewish people. This is in Jerusalem for a Jewish festival. They are faithful believers in God. They've come from all over the, the, the world, that part of the world. They've made a trek. They've made a pilgrimage because they are faithful believers in the Bible and in the God of the Bible. Baptism at the time was something that non-Jewish people would do to become converts to Judaism. Now, but here Peter is saying to these faithful Jewish believers, you need to be baptized. With that context in mind, we can imagine them going, wait, what? We're believers in God. We're here to worship the God of the Bible. Why do we have to be baptized? And the answer for them was, because becoming a Christian is not adding Jesus to their existing lives and faith. It was an entirely new beginning. Here is what they needed to know. To become a Christian is not something you add on to your life or supplement to your life. It is an entirely new life. It's not something that you come to to help you in the direction that you're already going and want to go. It's an entirely new direction altogether. Peter says, that is what you need to know. And they say, what do we do about this message of Jesus? He says, it's an entirely new life. That's what repent means. Repent is a complete change of direction. Literally, it's a change of mind, a change of heart. It's a turning from the way that you are headed, turning to a whole new way that is centered on Jesus. And to be baptized with water means the same thing. Now, we're not going to talk about how they were baptized was the water poured or sprinkled or immersion? Those are some questions that we wonder about sometimes. It's not told. We're not told in this text. But we know that water was used and water symbolized a new beginning. The entering into a life of repentance, a whole new life. And that is what water symbolizes in the Bible in so many places. The Gospels, all four Gospels begin the story of Jesus with what? with the story of his baptism with water. The Gospels connect Jesus' baptism to the waters of creation. 1 Peter chapter 3 connects baptism and the waters of baptism to the waters of Noah's flood. Paul in 1 Corinthians 10 
connects baptism to the waters of the Red Sea. We see water happening and coming up in the biblical story at many key points. Different times, different waters, but the same thing. On one side of the water, Genesis chapter 1, the waters were in watery chaos. On the other side, when the Father speaks over the watery chaos and the Spirit is hovering over the waters, Genesis 1 says creation comes about. On the one side, chaos. On the other side, creation. On the one side of the flood, you had a world full of violence and sin. On the other side of the flood, you had a cleansed world. You had a whole new world. On one side of the Red Sea, there was Egypt. There was Pharaoh. There was slavery. On the other side of the Red Sea was freedom and a journey to a new land. So baptism, using water, it's a sacrament of entrance and new beginning. The water is communicating something to us, and it's saying to us, welcome to a whole new life. On one side of this water is one life. On the other side of this water is a whole new life. On one side of this water is a life centered on ourselves. On the other side of this water is a life centered on around Jesus Christ. If you're baptized, friends, here, no matter when that happened, that is what the water means. That is what, as we'll see, when our faith is in Jesus, what the water actually does as a reminder to us. We don't have any baptisms this morning, but I had to bring our baptismal bowl and pitcher up here just so we can see. And if you want after the service, you can come and just, just look at the waters. Because on the other side of these waters, on the one side is our old life. On the other side of these waters is an entirely new life, a life of repentance, a life that is directed and centered and oriented on Jesus. It's clear in Scripture that baptism is a one-time thing. We don't get baptized over and over again. It's, it's our entrance. It's a beginning. But if you read the New Testament, you'll see the New Testament writers keep bringing it up over and over again to baptized Christians. Romans 6, I said 1 Corinthians 10, Ephesians, Galatians, you'll see baptism being referenced. Why? To remind Christians of what it means to be a Christian. It's a picture at the beginning of the Christian life for the whole of the Christian life. Now, it's interesting if you study the history of church architecture. For many, many years, churches put their baptism font at the entrance to the church. And some, like this, this church here, this church that we meet in, has front and center their baptismal font right there. Why? It's a reminder Every time you enter in to worship, that you're entering into this whole new life that is centered on Jesus Christ. That we don't fit Jesus into our lives and plans. We fit our lives and plans into him. Now, these 3,000 people that day who were all baptized, it says, they really had no idea all that it meant on that day. They knew something big was happening. They knew it was a new beginning. 
But for them, as we see the book of Acts unfold, to realize that their ethnicity, their culture, their race would not be the most important thing about them. That was on the one side of the waters. On this side of the waters, it was their identity in Jesus Christ. That it wasn't their national identity that was the most important thing about them. That was on the other side of the waters, on this side of the waters. It is their identity in Jesus Christ. On this side of the waters, their comfort, their economic advancement, their social advancement. Maybe those things were important to them. That was on this side of the water. But on this side of the water was Jesus Christ and his mission. So that's the priority of baptism. To be a Christian, baptism shows us, is to enter into a whole new way of life where Jesus is Lord. Baptism makes this clear, but that's not it. Baptism is also a means of grace. That's what the theologians call baptism, to summarize it. What does it do? Why is it important? Does it do anything? Yes, it is a means of grace, meaning it's one of the main ways that God gives us to grow into that new life. If it was only telling us, live a new life, change everything oriented around Jesus, well, that's a challenging call, and it is. But baptism also gives us the grace to grow into that new life. Just like we have the Word of God, prayer, worship together, community with one another, the Lord's Supper, we'll talk about that next week. Baptism is given by God to change us and to grow us. And you might be thinking, hmm, how so? It's just a bowl of water up there. How am I going to grow because of that? Well, it doesn't happen automatically like magic, right? The water hits us and boom, we're hit with power. To live a new life. It's not like, you know, like in the world of Harry Potter. We go from muggle to wizard because the water just hits us in some kind of magical automatic way. No, it works as a sign and as a seal. Let me use an illustration of a wedding ring. This wedding ring is a sign. It points me every time I look at it and think about it to promises that I made to my wife and the promises she made to me of a lifelong covenant. So it's a sign. It's not about the ring itself. It's about what this ring points to. It's also a seal. On a wedding day, there are promises made. There are vows exchanged. And then there are these rings brought out. Why? Because it seals the promises. It says, these promises I made to you, I received these. It's proof. I am married. <laughs> this is proof. It's in the ring. Baptism works like this. It is a sign that points us to Jesus. And a seal that confirms what he has done is real and is true for us personally. If we have been baptized, it seals it to our lives in a very personal way. This text, we're going to move through it. Rather quickly, it brings these signs and seals, many of them together in one place. Each one could be its own sermon, but I want to give you a sense of the breadth that is here. I'm going to go phrase by phrase in verses 38 through 41. And we have slides for each of these. Baptism, this text says, is a sign and a seal of God's pleasure over us. Peter says, be baptized in the name of of Jesus Christ, our names, 
Our names are our identity. Who we are is all wrapped up in our names. To be baptized in the name of Jesus means to be baptized into who he is, his identity. And what is it about Jesus' identity that we share? The best place to answer that question is Jesus' own baptism. And at Jesus' own baptism, what was, what was said over him? The voice of the Father said out loud to him, You are my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Baptism is a sign for us. Don't look for your identity in your own achievement. Don't look for your identity in the approval of other people. Don't look for your identity within yourself as if you can create it, achieve it, or get it from other people. Look for your identity by faith in Jesus. Look to your baptism. The words of the Father at Jesus' baptism are the words the Father speaks to you at yours. You are my beloved son and daughter. In you I am well pleased. That is the identity of every single person who places their faith in the name of Jesus Christ. We were talking about this this week. We have an emotionally healthy spirituality group that meets weekly, and we were talking about Jesus and this baptism moment, and we realized as we were studying in the book we're reading, said Jesus had to face temptation, like we will never know. And it happened right after his baptism. He went to the desert, and he faced temptation to find his identity and his power and the applause of people and in building his kingdom for his own sake. After that, he had to disappoint Pretty much every single person in his life, his family said, what are you doing? So many different times. The crowds said, what are you doing? This is not what we want from a Messiah. The religious leaders said, you are a disappointment. You are not the Messiah. How did Jesus have the resolve and the strength to handle all of that? He knew who he was. He knew his name. And that's why he began his ministry by receiving that identity, being commissioned into his ministry with God's pleasure over him before he even did anything. And we have that same identity in him. Baptism reminds us of that. Secondly, God's pardon over us. Baptism is a sign and a seal of God's pardon over us. A few Sundays ago, I grabbed a shirt like one of these, it was just dry cleaned, and I was like, I'm going to wear it to church, it's all fresh, and I put it on, and I looked in the mirror, and there was like a stain right here. It wasn't like, it was just clean. I was like, how can this clean? I just went to the dry cleaners, come on, what's up? And I put it on, I'm like, no one will notice, okay, fine, I'll just put it on, it's just a small little thing. But as I was wearing it in the morning and looking in the mirror, I was like, all I can see is that stain. Everyone is going to see that stain and say, what kind of pastor are you? Wearing a stained shirt up there. That's all they're going to see. Many of us, we live like this with regard to our sin, our failure, things that we carry around, our guilt and our shame. We, we think, that's all God sees about me, how I messed up, how I failed. 
We think that's all people see about me is that I'm just not living up to par. We see only those things about ourselves that we are stained and fall short. Baptism is a sign. Don't look to your stains. Look to Jesus. All who trust in him are washed clean in the water. Baptism is a sign and seal of God's power in us. Peter said, be baptized and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For some of us, when we think about the call to a brand new way of life, where everything in our lives is directed around Jesus, we are honestly jaded and discouraged when we hear that because we've tried. And what we've encountered is our own weakness. We've realized there is not a life hack, a quick hack to transformation. We see how far we still have to go to be a person who's like Jesus. We look at it and we wonder, is it worth trying? Baptism is a sign for us. Don't look to your own strength. Don't look to your own resources. Look to Jesus. He promises the Holy Spirit for all who trust in him. And by the work of the Holy Spirit, his power is made perfect in weakness. Baptism is a sign of God's promise to us. It's been a while since I've done alliteration, but here I've kind of gone crazy on it. But it, it's all peace. The promise, Peter says, is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. Now, what I'm about to say here about baptism is going to be a little bit different than what some of you have been taught. Some of us have been taught baptism is an outward expression of an inward reality. Maybe you've heard that terminology before. The inward reality that that's speaking to is my own faith. So I express my own faith by baptism. Here, that is not primarily what is happening. That doesn't fit. Baptism is primarily not a sign of our faith, of our promise and pledge to God. Primarily, it is a sign of God's promises and God's pledge to us. It's not a sign primarily of our faith. It's a sign to inspire and strengthen and bolster our faith when it is weak like it often is. When we doubt, when times come into our lives when our faith is weak and we wonder, where do we stand with God? We wonder if it's all real. If our present faith is the issue, the problem we're struggling with, how is our past faith going to help us with that? Say, I'm struggling with faith now. Well, I believed 20 years ago or whatever it was. That doesn't really help us. Baptism is a sign of God's promise for all who trust in Jesus. In the words of Paul in 1 Timothy, even when we are faithless, he remains faithful because he cannot deny himself. He cannot deny his promises which are shown to us in baptism for all who believe, even all who hold on with just a sliver of faith in Jesus Christ. God's promises remain true. We're not going to spend a lot of time unpacking this, but this also helps us understand the question of who is baptism for, answer that question. We're a Presbyterian church. We baptized infants and we baptize any who come to faith in Jesus Christ who have not been baptized. That's our practice. And for some of us, the, the practice of baptizing infants is newer. But look at what Peter says. 
Who is the promise for? It is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. What's happening here is so significant. This is the first sermon, right? The first thing the church ever did. And what Peter is saying is there is continuity. Just as God's covenant promises were passed down in the Old Testament to the children of believers, it continues here on the day that the church was born. The promise is for you and for your children. The sign of the promise was given to the children of believers, not as a sign of their faith, but as a sign of where to place their faith in Jesus. That's all I'm going to say about that. You can ask me more if you have questions later. God's pleasure over us, his pardon for us, his power in us, his promise to us. Baptism is also a sign of God's pursuit of us. Peter says this promise is for as many as the Lord our God will call. You may feel at times, maybe now, maybe right now, that you are just in a place where you've grown lax in your faith. There was a time when you were zealous and you were serious and you were active, but now it's like that time is not where you're at. Maybe you're drifting and not engaged. Baptism is a sign. Don't look to your own level of zeal. Don't look to your own pursuit of God. Look to God's pursuit of you. He is the one calling. And Peter says, you're here, you're listening to this message, you're asking, what should we do? Why? It's not just happenstance. It is God himself who's been calling to you. Baptism is a sign of that. I have a dirty little secret to confess as a Presbyterian pastor. You guys are like, what's going to happen? I have been baptized twice. (gasps) Such a shock. As an infant, and later when I was about 20 years old, when I was in college. At the time, I thought, I look back, and what I knew of my infant baptism, I thought there was too much wrong with it. I learned a little bit about the pastor, and as I was 20 years old, and I thought I knew everything, he wasn't really, I don't know where he was at. His theology wasn't in gear. My parents were still processing their faith. Their their theology wasn't where it should be. I remembered I was told by my mom that my aunt and uncle were there. At that church, they practiced um, godparents coming forward for the baptism as well. And I thought, yeah, yeah, I just need to do this again and do it the right way uh, when I was in college. And maybe some of you have gone through something similar. But since that time, my perspective has shifted dramatically about that imperfect infant baptism that I had as an infant, however many weeks old I was, I look back at that and go, wow, God has pursued me faithfully ever since that day. I look back at how my parents have had their ups and downs, but have come to understand who who Jesus is over their journeys. I look back at my godparents there And see how God has used them, my aunt and uncle, in my life at various points to encourage me. So for me, I look back and go, I think I had it all wrong. This wasn't about my pursuit of God or the pursuit of God of all the people who were involved in my baptism. It was all about God's pursuit of me, and he has been faithful to that. Baptism is a sign. Don't look at our pursuit. Look at God's pursuit of us.
Lastly, baptism is a sign and a seal of God's people and us. Verse 41 says, those who accepted his message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 people were added to them. This is saying when you're baptized, you are added to something. You are added to the church. Baptism is entrance to a whole new way of life, but it's also entrance into a whole new community, a new family, the church. We might have this picture when we see Peter up in front of thousands of people preaching, and he says, they say, what do we do? And he says, come forward, repent, and be baptized, and everybody goes about their own lives. But that's not what happened. As you read the passage, it says, they all leaned into community. They became the church. And we see that community described in great power there in verses 42 all the way through 47. Let me summarize this all together. Once we were driving down in Mexico, pretty far down, the farthest we'd ever driven down. And we got our maps together beforehand just to make sure we knew where we were going. We were told there was a brand new highway that was built that would take us uh, to the place where we were headed. But I was very nervous because I knew once we crossed the border, there's no cell phone service. Like this, this better be right. And we got across the border, and we went through Tijuana and all that, and we were down further, further down, and the road ended. Like, what is happening? And it said there was a dirt road on the side, so we went around the dirt road, and thankfully, there was a sign after that that said the road is here, continuing. And this happened many, I forgot how many times, five, six, seven times. And I, every, everything in me was wondering, are we going to get lost down here in Mexico? I have no idea what will happen if that, if that takes place. We had our young kids in our van, and the road was bumpy, and we were just hitting all these speed bumps, and I was going, what is happening? Are we lost? And I needed signs. <laughs> and every time I saw the sign, I knew the road we were supposed to be on, my heart was at peace. And I could trust. We're going to get there. (laughs) We're headed in the right direction. Baptism is like this. It is a sign. It is proof that we should look to often, every day, for all times on the road and the journey of following after Jesus. When we are tempted, when we are discouraged, when we are doubting, when we are weak, when we feel lax in our faith, baptism is a gift of God. We have his word. He says, I'm giving you a visible picture and sign of what that word is. Just as real as this water is, so real is everything that I promise to you in my son Jesus. So that is really just a taste of the meaning of baptism. I want to close with some final thoughts on the liturgy of baptism. Baptism is something we do as a church. When we celebrate baptism, we do it together here as a part of our worship service. I was at a different church uh, in seminary, a different type of church, and there was a family there. They were a family that kind of did things their own way, just that kind of family. And one time, the, the dad came up to me. I was a pastoral intern. He said, I'd like to have my daughter baptized. I was like, oh, that's great. I'll talk to the head pastor, and we'll figure that out. And then the next week came, and I had talked to the pastor, and we approached this dad and said, hey, we're ready to talk about your daughter's baptism. And he looked at us, and he said, don't worry, we took care of it. (laughs) And I was like, 
okay. <laughs> That's not how it's supposed to be. So that is an extreme story of somebody saying, we're just going to go ahead and take care of it ourselves. We don't need the church. But that's not how baptism is supposed to be practiced. It's not something we do for ourselves. Peter says, be baptized. We are passive. We, are, we receive the baptism from others. It's meant to be a part of the liturgy of the church as an official welcome and entrance into the people of God, the church. This is important for the, the person being baptized, and it's also important for all of us, for everyone who is witnessing the baptism, to remember our baptism. To plug into the electricity again and remember, I have a resource here. I have a gift here that God has given to me. Let me remember this. And to be strengthened in our own faith. It can also be a part of our everyday liturgies. Martin Luther was a great leader of the Protestant Reformation. You may know a little bit about him. He always struggled with great doubt and fear. And when he became the leader of this movement, his doubts and fears got even more intense. And there's a story told of when he was up in his office, in his, in his room where he studied, people heard him shouting and yelling, and he was praying. And they were like, wow, that was, what's going on in there? That's intense. And he came out, and he was at peace after this time of prayer, and they were wondering, Man, I wonder what made the difference. He sounded like he was struggling mightily with God in prayer. And the story is told that later they looked on his desk, and it was written there on his desk in chalk, I am baptized. And I want to offer that to you as an idea, as a story, as a picture of how we can use our baptism every single day is remembering the reality that is shown to us in this water to root ourselves in our identity, to fix our eyes on God's promises, his pursuit of us, the power he has given to us by his Holy Spirit, and the fact that we're not alone. We have each other. Maybe, very practical thought, you can find out what your baptism day was. And for those of you who have kids, pull that out of the archives. Make it a celebration. Make it a special day to celebrate, to remember what baptism shows us. A sign and a seal of who Jesus is and all we have simply by faith in him. Let's pray. We thank you, God, for giving us the gift of baptism we realize maybe we haven't been utilizing it as much as we should. But I pray this morning as we have looked at your word, as you have shown us what you're trying to tell us, the resource that you give us in our baptism, even as we have a baptismal bowl up here in front of us, I pray that you would let it sink home exactly where we need it, where we hear the words, but it's not getting through, where we feel like it's in our minds, but it's not getting through into our hearts. Today, would you remind us what you do, what you promise, what you give, and open up our hearts in faith to believe it and to receive it. 
We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.